Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Culture eats strategy for lunch. They're the words of educator and author, Mr. Peter Drucker. And what does it mean when it comes to moving from traditional comms to wholly agile comms in public sector? Where do the tensions arise and how do you overcome it? It means that your strategy transformation might slow down and in some cases it might unravel if you have a lot of detractors. So coming up in this show, I'll share my thoughts on why culture is critical to digital success. The 7S approach to embedding a culture of digital comms in your government or public sector organization. And I interview Charlie Boyle, CEO of Customer Service Excellence Ireland. And this man specializes in this field. And you have to stay tuned for that conversation because trust me, it's epic. Today's column, I'm talking about why culture is critical to digital comm success. I can write your social media or your digital marketing strategy. I can even develop a bespoke training program for your staff and to scale digital skills right around your organization. I can even develop your content and publish it if you want me to. But really when it comes to successful digital marketing, social media, web marketing, email marketing, content marketing in government and public sector. It needs to start with a mindset that digital comms is important, that it's going to be prioritized and a culture that you're willing to embrace that transformation, that change and to embrace the challenges and you're willing to shed old work practices in favor of new ones. And that really, for me, when I work with organizations and I see buy-in, even if people are afraid of change, but if they're bought into the need for change, then we have a great strategy. And I often find that implementation is more successful. But what happens if there isn't a shared vision for digital comms in an organization? And quite simply, strategies are there perhaps just tick boxes to say that we have a social media strategy or a digital comm strategy. And this is where the real problems arise. Because if you're not invested in digital comms and appreciate the value that it's going to give to your organization's overall corporate communications and reputation strategy, then really you're not going to be successful because if you don't believe it, then the public are going to believe it. So culture matters because you get a team that is invested in digital comms wholly. They understand the value of it, and especially from where the citizen comes in. They appreciate the changing nature of the landscape and that it's not a static situation, that it's ever moving, ever changing, and that you have to pivot every time you think that you've mastered something in the online world, something else changes. But of course, that keeps us busy and on our toes. You will also have a team that is willing to learn, that is willing to recognize that 
that these vocational and practical skills of digital communications uh, need to be updated on an ongoing basis and really thinking about it from a CPD or a continuing professional development perspective. Accepting that it will feel uncomfortable and that you'll be going into a place where maybe it's new to you and then that brings up feelings of fear. But also being supportive of colleagues who are maybe embracing digital for the very first time. And I see a lot of this. And the trend that I'm seeing right now is that more and more students are choosing to study with us at Public Sector Marketing Institute because they don't have communications, marketing, media in their job title. However, they recognize that to be successful and to drive forward their objectives and their projects and their teams, they need to be skilled digital communicators and they need to be able to engage with the public in, a, in public platforms and also with other stakeholders. And so a lot of those students are coming in from a place of fear, uncertainty, and probably thinking that they won't get to the end of one of our courses. But of course, we're there to mentor and to support them. And when they do get to the end, because I never leave anyone unaided, there's a real sense of empowerment and a real sense of, well, now I feel relevant in the digital age that I can communicate online. And then finally, what I would say is teams with a great culture and mindset towards digital comms are willing to get it wrong. Because anyone who works in the field that I do knows that in order to get it right online, you first have to get it wrong. And I don't like using that word wrong. What I mean is you need to take action in order to learn. And from the results of that action, you will be able to lean into the data insights to understand whether that tactic, that strategy, that piece of content actually performed well or engaged an audience. And if it didn't, then that's where the real learning comes from. So ask yourself, what is the culture in our organization when it comes to progressive digital communications? Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting section, I'm going to talk about the 7S approach to embedding a culture of digital communications transformation in your public sector organization. Change is challenging. Digital communications transformation is not easy, but trust me, it is worth it. So here's a little framework that is widely used in the industry that you can apply to digital comms change within your organization. The 7S approach starts with shared values. Strategy doesn't come first. Shared values is top off the pecking order. So we all need to get into a room, whether it's hybrid, virtual or in person. And we need to really ask ourselves, why is digital communications important for our organization now? Is it going to help us manage our reputation? Is it the expectation from the public's perspective that we are there? on platforms where they are navigating? Is it part of that transformation piece where the S3 age is evolving? So really having a sense for shared values. And this should not start and stop with the communications team. It needs to involve all departments. It needs to be led 
by the CEO's office, by heads of directorates, head of departments, and then bringing in all staff to really understand the why of digital comms before you even talk about the how. So the second S and the seven S approach is strategy. And this is really mapping out the roadmap of where you are going to go over a specific time frame, 12, 18, 24 months. And it's also going to be hung on the priorities, goals, objectives, KPIs of your organization. Strategy, strategy should also give great consideration to all of those departments and also to all of the audiences that you are serving. Within that strategy, you'll also think about the content, the pillar messaging, and you'll also think about the channels that you're going to embrace in order to reach the public. There should be a measurement framework. There should also be an implementation plan built into it. Then from implementation, you're going to get to the third S, which is systems. A systematic approach to digital comms is one that works very well. And in actual fact, what I would argue is that the systematic approach now in the digital age is far more effective and efficient than traditional old comms work practices. And so we're really gearing up for efficiency. We're talking about working smarter and not harder, but without cutting those corners. Next, we need to talk about structure as the fourth S. How are we going to structure our teams? In fact, do we have enough skills and capacity within our current team to deliver the strategy within that shared value that we have? Are we going to restructure our teams considering that digital comms is everyone's responsibility and not simply the press, media, or the marketing or the communications team? Moving then to number five is all about staff and really empowering them with confidence and also communicating really well what's expected of them now. Because within transformation, you will be ditching old practices, introducing new ones. There'll be new ways of working expected from staff, but you cannot assume. You need to mentor them, train them and really empower them to to really get comfortable and familiar with new ways of working. The sixth S is skills. And the skill set is kind of the easy one because, I mean, I teach people every single day of the week and you can teach people digital calm skills even if they've never had a communications role in their life. These skills are ubiquitous. And in fact, you know, in five, 10 years, I might not even be doing this job of teaching people these tangible vocational practical skills. So it's just a little bit of transformation that needs to happen. And of course, CPD skills are vital. And then the seventh S is style. You could also call it substance. You could also call it your tone of voice, your personality online. And it's how you're going to deliver the personality of the organization and the people within it. And it's really important in the digital age that we see human faces because that human connection and that person-to-person -person engagement is really important. The years of hiding behind a corporate logo are definitely gone. So have a look a little bit more closely at the 7S approach and see how you can apply it to your organization. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource 
Join our Membership Academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies and organisational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In this episode, we hear from customer experience expert Charlie Boyle, a fellow Donegal native. Charlie has a wealth of information on all things customer experience. He is the CEO of Customer Service Excellence Ireland, which he founded in 2014. For the previous 14 years, Charlie worked on various operational projects in the UK, including several successful pub groups, the Marriott Hotel Group, Chelsea Football Club and the London Olympic Games. He holds a Master's in Leadership and Innovation and studied Consumer Behaviour at Ulster University. All of his studies are focused on customer experience and this is one of my favourite podcast interviews to date. So sit back and enjoy. Charlie, you are very welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you indeed, Joanne. Thanks for the invitation to, to be on here. So there's a saying that goes, culture eats strategy. And I spend much of my time writing social media and digital marketing strategies for my clients in government and public sector. But do you think that strategy will fail if the people and the culture are misaligned? Not always, not always. There, there, as, as always, there are outliers and there are those that will storm on and succeed regardless of whether they get the culture right. However, they are the exception rather than the rule. And to use that as a strategy, to use that sort of hope to, to work without you know, positive culture as a strategy um, wouldn't be good strategy in the first place. So I'm, I'm a strong believer in that statement by Drucker. Uh, somebody went on to add that culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch and dinner, that it's that important. And yeah, I would believe passionately in that from just from life experience as well, Joanne. Yeah. So how do you shift culture and mindsets, you know, when people are digitally averse? And in my experience, that usually comes from a nervousness. So how can you kind of get people to, to shift? Because this is your area of specialism. Yeah, with with difficulty, but you know, with the understanding that you know, without change, you know, disrupt or be disrupted, change or die. All all of that is very very relevant in the digitally disruptive world that we we are now in, and you know, companies or businesses or individuals who don't change with this fast moving. I mean, we're moving faster now in three year periods than we did in thirty year periods thirty years ago. And I know that sounds like a bit of a headful, but it just means that every three years, the world is evolving at such a pace that we have to change. There's no longer the option of not changing. And, you know, be that in the workplace or be it in sport or in the local community, change is a, is a given now. So therefore, you know, my, my argument is, is that we must focus on change and the processes and the mindset and the ability and the adaptability to change as much as much as we must on what is it we have to change. You know, it's it seems to me that it's easier to figure out what has to be changed than it is to change. And bringing you know bringing everybody with you in any journey is an impossibility. But you're you're probably working off sometimes the 10-80-10 rule where 10% of people will cheerlead the change on, 80% are passive, 
you know, they'll they'll go with the flow. They won't do any harm. They won't pull back against it. They'll, you know, they'll just be passive uh, participants. But 10% of people, again, the research we show this, 10% of people will pull back against change. Now, that's an average, but you can imagine an organization where that's not aligned at 10, 80, 10. Let's say it's 5% cheerleaders and maybe 80% passives, and you've got 15% pulling against it. That can be very, very powerful. And it doesn't mean that you eradicate or get rid of the 10 or 15%. You need them. You know, minority thinking is important. Minority thinking improves all thinking by 30%, I think is the, the statistic there. So it's important to listen to those who are slower to change because there's lessons in there as well. You know, there's uh, our, our ability to change and our need to change is important, but it's also important to listen to those who perhaps resist change or don't want to change because within that group, there, there are messages as well, which we need to heed. And so when you're in a room or a virtual room with people and you're helping them with some sort of transformation uh, project, how do you manage that dynamic of championing change passive and then resisting change by being totally and absolutely honest about it by calling it as it is and, and putting up a slide that displays that you know don't beat about the bush don't don't because people know people know what category they fall into and you will soon know and others in the room will also know so why with such an important thing as change should we you know tiptoe around it uh that doesn't mean you go on like a bull into a china shop but you simply you know deal with the data the data is there that's what the stats would say that's what the research is suggesting that you're going to get resistors to change people will resist it in different ways people will just not be happy with it because they might be a year or two years or three years away from retiring and the last thing they want to be doing is any big change project before they do so however that being said and i've seen this as well is that those who say they are open to change can sometimes fall into the category when the action starts so they can fall into that sort of oh well yeah it sounded good but i'm not so sure about that those that are the early resistors to change can become the champions of the change as well so i you know to answer your question i think you need to lead with honesty total and absolute honesty and you know in my case one of one of the things change is important for for customer service and customer experience because as you know, and we've spoken about this before, my belief is that that starts deep down. Customer service starts internally. It's the culture. It's the internal customer service. So typically, we would get a call from a company that would say, will you come in and um, do some work on our frontline staff? You know, we've had a few complaints, blah, blah, blah. And the question might be early on, well, how do you know it's the frontline staff? You know, perhaps the issue is much deeper in the organization. And, you know, those companies and organizations who are, you know, growing up enough to say, okay, that's interesting, well, come on and have a look at it. What the, the first slide that I will start with was, is that one that I'm, I'm uh, talking about now is the 108010, where, you know, we call them canaries as birds in the, in the workplace. They will cheerlead it on. They become very energetic about it. And, you know, it's a, it's a very, very dynamic part that you need, but you must also be aware of the resistors to change uh, you must also be aware in that um in that category as well that there will be cultural assassins there will be people who will deliberately and consciously try to pull it back but you need to name it as it is there's no point 
in wasting the company's money and waiting for sessions for people to come out and and waiting for them to come back at you because uh, change is based on fear you know and fear is based on two things in the workplace the fear of losing something we have or not getting something that we want so again getting clear to the causes of the resistance to change uh, and you know just naming it people become more comfortable with it. They become either more comfortable with knowing, okay, I'm aware I, I'm aware of where I am now. And then you can start working on it. And, and the, you know, the people who are the resistors don't, we can rename them. We can call them challengers. You know, we, it's, it's all about the naming. Um, and it's not about the personalities. It's always about the principles. We work on the principles of what we're trying to do and leave the personalities out of it. Uh, I, I just find that it works much, much better like that. And so when it comes to customer experience and let's say for arguments, say we have um, mastered it internally within our organization and then we step out onto the public digital world where you really are exposed, what role does customer experience play in the digital age? Let's think about your website, social media, email, for example. Yeah, or, or you know, we could we could look at that the other way around. What part does digital pay, play in the customer experience? You know, it's 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 intertwined. There, there's no question about this. It's it's intertwined. It's not one or the other. It's both working together. The digital is of huge importance to the overall customer experience, and I come across it constantly every day, where there's really really good examples of the digital supporting the overall customer experience. Remember, you know, if it was in retail or hospitality. That experience no longer starts when you enter the bricks and mortar store. It starts well in advance of that. The experience has started two days beforehand. When I pick up the phone and my, you know, sitting on my couch and I start, you know, looking at, you know, what store. I'm not a big shopper, I must admit, but if I'm looking at what shop, I'm looking at the opening times, I'm looking, do they have the product that I'm looking for? I'm, I'm reading about the product so i i'm going to know more about the product when i go on then the the, the, per, the person i'm asking the question of and that's a big big shift and in, in retail hospitality the same you know when we're booking hotels it's a digital process i'm going to you know go on to one of the booking sites or to be fair to the hotel i'm going to go straight to their site so maybe they don't have to pay a commission but the journey has already started. The customer experience journey has already started. Then it's the quality of the website, so consciously and consciously, I am starting the journey of you know whether this uh, this brand is a fit for me or not, and it, and it it seldom comes down to price. I'm then looking at reviews, so there's going to be TripAdvisor reviews. So the, the the digital journey is is part of is intertwined in the customer experience, and then you know have they over promised and and under delivered or is it the other way around is there a nice subtle sort of welcome to this hotel and when i get there is then the human touch the human factor is that enhancing what what was already that the digital interaction with uh, the brand and i know I'm, I'm just sticking with hospitality and retail but that that could be in any sector so it's it's of huge importance yeah you're absolutely right even how public sector and government agencies have transitioned throughout COVID, they had to bring access to all their public services online. And you're right, the journey starts well before you even engage with a human being because the expectation is that all the information that I could possibly need exists online. Now, you know that 
we're very well connected, not only our Donegal connection and our, our business connection and our shared interests, but also on LinkedIn. And I, I love connecting with you on LinkedIn. And you always put out things that make me think. And I know that's the whole objective. But one recently caught my attention and it posed the question of human skills versus digital skills. And so I w wanted to ask you, are you advocating for more humanity online or a more human approach to digital conversations? Or what was that prompt that you were getting us to think about? Well, as as we would say in Donegal, I'm acting the blackguard, to be very honest, Joanne. And it's it's not, I know what I'm doing when I put up human skills versus digital skills. I don't believe that. I'm putting it up. It's, it's a blog. Remember what a blog is. There's a bit of entertainment in it. It's human skills and digital skills, of course it is. It's not one versus the other. It's both intertwined. They have to be, they are. Um, however, here is the anomaly. We are one of the best in Europe at training our young people digitally. So we're really, really good in education at digital skills. I think we're one or two in Europe. We're about 23rd in Europe at human skills. We do not have content in our education system for human skills. You know, if you're, my, my son's doing civil engineering at third level, bright young lad, great lad, 95 to 100% of that is about civil engineering. So it's going to be about CAD, it's going to be about physics. And you might say, yeah, well, that's the way it should be, it should not be. What's preparing him for the first day in the building site in London or New York? Where are the human skills? And we're not talking about human skills. We need to understand what human skills are and what they're not. We think human skills as being friendly and kind. They are human skills. But what about creative thinking? What about adaptability? What about resilience? What about these human skills that maybe our generation, generations before were exposed to, but the younger generations, because we've set it up as such, they're not exposed to the same as that. So it has to be trained in. So, the blogs that I put up and the surveys that I put up are asking the question, how important are human skills? Now, I put one up last night for the car industry and product knowledge, which is knowledge about the car, is scoring at about 30%. Yet people in the car industry are saying 70% of the skills they need are human skills. Now, there is no question if I ask the second part of that question to those involved in the motor industry, what level of training do you have at product knowledge of the car, the Volkswagen you're selling, or the Mercedes? They will say 80% of the training is product knowledge. How much human skills training are you getting? It would be 5%. So there's a total and absolute anomaly in that whole um, that whole balance. And you know, I'm very interested in the last couple of years in future skills required in the various sectors. And you know, I've been involved in one or two of those on a national level. And it's, it's there in front of us. It's there in front of us that the human skills, the need for human skills, we were calling them soft skills up to a few years ago, and therefore they weren't getting the seriousness that they required. Then we were sort of calling them employability skills as if it was getting somebody back to work. But there are human skills. There, there are human skills. And there, you know, if we, if we listed them, we could find up to 150. We had an exercise yesterday with, uh, with credit unions. We narrowed it to 30. We tried to narrow it to 10 and we failed because you can't narrow it down past 30. So it's it's things like empathy, self-awareness, growth mindset, adaptability, innovation, collaboration. These things are of huge importance, but the interesting thing is they feed into digital advance as well. If you're gonna improve things digitally, you must have the ability to collaborate and to adapt and to sit down with other people and understand how teams work best. 
you must be able to communicate you must have empathy the first part of any design thinking is empathy in other words listen to the problem now if we're not training in empathy in this digitally disruptive world what's going to happen in a few years time is all of us not just the you know the generation alpha that's coming up next but all of us will lose the skill of communication will lose these human skills that are so important for innovation and innovation has never been as important but there's a lot of skills that feed into innovation there's a lot of skills that feed into to critical, critical thinking so human skills aren't separate from the support of digital skills they're intertwined and likewise with digital skills let's uh, shift gear a little bit and we're going into the future and you i know would have watched like i um, the announcement from Mark Zuckerberg um, when they changed the company name from Facebook to Meta, but they also began introducing us to the concept of the metaverse and really saying that it's it's experiential in a in a four D world, virtual reality and augmented reality uh, coming together. Do you see this as a positive shift in terms of customer experience online? What's your views? If, if I'm honest, I don't fully understand what's happening there. I mean, somebody like you, I would be be guided by you, and I would need to I would need to hear about what what's going on. What what is it? What is, exactly are they doing? But you know, overall, I'm a believer in I'm a believer in social media. I'm a believer in the platforms. It's it's like everything else. There's a need for balance. We we always need to watch the balance of it. So there's there's great good happen happens on Facebook without question. Like I've seen it from, I've seen it from a local level. You know, in, in my community, we, we raised we raised twenty thousand for floodlights about three years ago through Facebook in a couple of weeks, and there's nobody could tell me for a couple of years afterwards that you know that's not positive. It's you know. We, we were a GEA club in West Donegal. No club in West Donegal had floodlights. We said, why not us? We should have the same as a club in a, in a city centre. So the platform for it was online through Facebook. It wasn't writing letters to contractors over in the UK or ringing up friends. And it was instant and it was quick and it was cost effective. It cost us absolutely nothing. So whatever Mark Zuckerberg is doing, we will get positives from that, but there will also be negatives from it as well, because it's like anything that's new and has changed. If we overuse it, we're then abusing it. And and therefore, you know, the criticism sort of comes from that as well. So if we're over reliant on it, I see that's where the problem would be. But there's no doubt that whatever he's changing, he's changing because his team and, you know, the, the data... <laughs> The data will be suggesting that change is required for them as well and you know one of the biggest digital players in the world they will be working off that thing disrupt or be disrupted so they're they're getting in there before somebody comes in and, and does it to them i would imagine but again maybe we need to sit down with you for half an hour for you to explain to me what number god he is doing <laughs> well actually um episode 39 of the public sector marketing show is the top things that you need to know about Meta and the Metaverse. So that is coming very soon. I will be tuning into that. I will have to. Yeah. So uh, finally, Charlie, what advice would you give to a marketing manager in government or public sector who are trying to transform their communications level up digital, the online output, but they're trying to motivate management? You know, 
up above them and then staff around them who are a little bit nervous. Okay, what, what, what I would say to any marketing team is that, again, I can only talk from my experience, my life experience, my work experience and share that experience. I can't tell anyone what to do, but you know, from experience, what I would suggest is that it's always internal. So marketing, it should also be internal. Going and telling the outside world that you're one thing and letting them come in and find out that that's not there is bad marketing. So all marketing, like all customer service, should start internally. How good is your internal marketing? How good is your internal communication? How good are you treating each other internally? Do a measurement of your culture in your public sector, either your council department or your public sector department or the, the entire you know, organization, you can measure culture, you can measure internal customer service. And if you measure that and you find there's a deficit, work at that and then start your marketing campaign on the outside. Now that, that to me makes total sense because that's what I've seen. You know, I had, for me, I had a successful sort of eight years at one stage in the UK in the pub industry, continuously winning these sales awards wondering what is it i'm doing because i wasn't i hadn't been at university i hadn't been a third level i hadn't looked at the research and you know the, the light bulb moment for me i suppose came when a guy asked me what's your sales strategy and i didn't even know what the word strategy meant let alone that i had a sales strategy but the sales strategy was and the marketing strategy was that i got it right internally so internally looking after the team making sure the communication was clear uh, look after their needs, not the customers' needs, not the citizens' needs as it is in the public sector, but looking after the team and getting the internal. This doesn't take a huge amount of work. This sometimes is tweaking. It's about the raising of awareness. So it doesn't mean that um, you can't start a marketing campaign for three years because you have this other work. It can be done parallel to it. So that would be, you know, based on the experience I have and those companies that I'm working with that are now saying, you were absolutely right, that was the right way to do it. Um, you know, that's that's the only advice that I can pass on. Charlie, I love listening to you. You are a wealth of knowledge and how you how you share it is so endearing and so engaging. So we need to do something together. I know we've had long conversations about what that yeah. will be, but I, I just think there's so much value that you can give to my audience. And also, I just want to say, isn't it brilliant to have two Donegal people on one podcast and to give people that lovely accent for for over 20 minutes <laughs> absolutely and and, and uh, you know it's it's just it's good it's good it's just good to you know and, and i think the thing has changed completely you know 20 years ago we were sort of you know where are you based or oh, you would whisper that there was donegal and now it's nearly like you know donegal has become the not only donegal but any remote area down the west of ireland you know working remotely and telling the story behind that is you know the sort of new new york or london uh, at the moment so great to see you again joanne and thanks for the opportunity no worries and it just when i hear the johnny gall accent it brings me home i know i'm not too far from home but it's just like a nice comfort blanket so apart from that and all your wealth of knowledge charlie a pleasure as always and we'll talk soon thank you thanks joanne thank you Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. If you haven't heard about it already, I'm going to remind you about our social media bootcamp 
kicking off in February 2022. This is your opportunity to refresh your social media skills, find out what's happening on the social networks, what has been changed, what has been updated, what is new and what are the trends that are helping social media users get increased reach and engagement. It takes place over five consecutive weeks. Each of the workshops is three hours and you'll get a mini social media plan for each of the social networks when you come along. So if you want to improve your social media skill set, find out what's trending right now, then make sure you check it out at publicsectormarketingpros.com. Almost 200 public sector pros have downloaded our current free ebook, and that is Mastering Marketing in the Public Sector, Out with the Old, In with the New, and learning how you can progress your career if you're interested in going up the career ladder. Also to say that if you want to learn from some of the best public sector marketing pros right across the world who have actually achieved it in my view, and who continue to upgrade their digital comms, then we have two full days of sessions from the Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit. If you missed it, if you didn't attend live, you can now buy our on-demand ticket and you can absorb all of the amazing case studies, expertise, case notes, and also workshops from that event. As always, if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to share it with a public sector pro that you know. And you can catch the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, or perhaps you're tuning in weekly on Facebook or on YouTube. But as always, it's a pleasure for me to show up every week and to share with you my insights and my knowledge and to bring some amazing guests onto the show. But for now, thank you for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.